Hello and welcome to our podcast, In Diverse Conversations. At In Diverse Company, we help organisations to create inclusive cultures that are not just good for business, but good for people too. We've been fortunate enough to meet some fantastic influencers in this space that really brings to life why inclusion is important, not just from a work perspective, but also the effects of change in the wider society. We'll be covering topics such as mental well-being, social mobility, men's mental health, neurodiversity and everything in between. Our podcast series is a chance for our listeners to be able to share some fantastic stories as well as taking away some key insights that can be put into practice. We hope you find this valuable. Hi, so today I'm joined by Jane Evans, who is the founder of the Uninvisibility Project. Jane, thank you for joining us today. Oh, an absolute pleasure. Could you introduce yourself to the audience, please? My name's Jane Evans. I am probably one of the world's most successful female creatives. I've worked in advertising since 1982. Mm -hmm. But in 2015, I found myself completely unemployable and completely irrelevant to my industry. And that led me on to a discovery that I was not alone Mm -hmm. and that there is an epidemic of women in their 50s who are losing their careers. I'm going to start today as I always start with our podcast. How are you today and how would you score your mental well-being? My mental well-being is very much on the edge today. Yep. One of the things, you know, I've been out of work for three years. I've mm-hmm. spent all my life savings mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm, I'm pulling myself back from bankruptcy. So mm-hmm. this morning I've been dealing with trying to stop the bailiffs coming on one issue. And, mm-hmm. and even though that I know that I'm getting out of this, Knowing what I'm doing as a project, I also know that I have to really experience this. So, you know, it was like, you know, I've I've felt this morning I have spent the morning as a woman going into bankruptcy, dealing Mm -hmm. with councils and all of that stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's horrendous, terrifying, scary, you know, and I've been in tears a couple of times this morning. Yeah. However... I've also had to, you know, pull myself up by the bootstraps because I am actually starting to run a very successful startup. So I'm on the way out. So this afternoon, I've got to do a hell of a lot of chest beating. So yeah, yeah. You know, my life is quite schizophrenic at the moment. Yeah. As much as, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, financially, I'm, I'm on the edge. Yeah. But it, but I'm also, you know, facing this incredible future with this movement that's really taking off and a message that people are really resonating with. Thank you for being so open and honest. Do you find that you ask yourself how you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Do you check in with yourself? The way that I do it is as I allow my si- myself time to deal with it. So mm-hmm. like Monday morning is my deal with the crap time of the week. Mm. So I always know that Monday mornings are going to be horrendous and emotional. Mm. But also if anything happens outside of that the rest of the week, I don't deal with it again till next Monday morning. Right. Yeah. So I compartmentalize it so that I can experience it and also deal with it. There's no mm. point in hiding it away, you mm. know, there's problems to be dealt with and you know, I've got to get out of this. So, you know, you just got to be honest, but no, I do check in with myself regularly. Yeah. But also protect myself from being coming obsessed by the problems and actually being obsessed by the opportunities. That's a really refreshing way to kind of uh, approach to have yeah Yeah. so thank you for sharing i'm going to start by a little warm-up to find out is it either or so let's start with sunrise or sunset sunrise and whilst walking or exercising music or podcasts none silence (laughs) silence (laughs) urban or rural both 
both. I can't yeah. choose between, but yeah. I'd miss both if I didn't have them. Yeah, yeah. It's a happy blend between the two. Yeah. And lastly, on this round, honesty or others' feelings? Bloody straightforward <laughs> honesty. Yeah. It doesn't do anybody any favours by not being honest. So, and that doesn't mean you're being nasty. No. But it's like not being honest. I can't think of any situation where not being honest isn't the right way to be. Yeah, yeah. Age and diversity. So that's why we're here today. Yeah. So what do you think are the main or underlying issues here? Well, I think, first of all, I should explain that I'm, I'm really only representing women, midlife yeah. women, because we're a generation of women that have actually never existed before. Mm-hmm. And it's there's no there's no social narrative for us. So we're the first group of women ever in the history of the world that are going to live twice as long as our original biological purpose. We were the first group of women that came into the workforce with equal opportunity legislation. You know, we're the first group of women that have now been through the whole of business. We've been through menopause and, and, and all of that. And yet, we're the fastest growing group of successful suicides in Australia, we're the fastest growing group of homeless, and around the world, women are having unnecessary uh, plastic surgery and procedures to hide their age. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, if we're invisible even to ourselves, you know, if we deny our own existence, then what hope do we have? It's like, you know, we should be proud of saying our age, and the only reason that we're not is because we're afraid of ageism. Mm-hmm. So it's the ageism that needs to go, not us being proud of our age and our experience and what we've accomplished. But currently at the moment, there is a societal attitude that there is no use for older women. And that needs to change. That needs to be challenged. Yes. Yeah. Women over 50. When I've been listening to your podcast and reading some of your work, which I find absolutely fascinating. And, and we had a great conversation last week, which was supposed to be a quick coffee and was two hours. But yeah. <laughs> It's, it's because it's you know you offer such fascinating insights, but especially with your creative background. But the fact that you've said that women of this demographic are the most powerful consumers in terms of decisions about what products get into the home, wasn't it? Ninety-seven percent. We we make ninety percent of consumer decisions, uh, household consumer decisions. So and anything that is power. Bought, the spending power is forty-seven percent of all consumer spending. And that's not because, and uh, you know, it's very easy to sort of go, oh, it's a bunch of rich boomers. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're actually buying for everybody. Yeah. So, you know, it was like, I have three phone plans. It's like, and it's not unusual for women in their 50s to, you know, we, we have, ch- you know, teenage children or uni- children at yeah. university. We've probably got parents that we need to start looking after as well. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're not, we, we're the first generation that got equal opportunity legislation. So, you know, we're still very much stuck in that sort of, we're the ones still doing the shopping. Yeah. We're the still ones still doing the, the, the housework. As much as we'd like to say that we haven't, it was like, we're just at the start of the change. I think younger yeah. women have got the benefits of that, but yeah. we're still, we're still bearing the brunt. One of the sayings that I've, 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 I've heard of yours a few times, which I absolutely love and just love you to have a, your own personal explanation on this is we've been your age you've never been ours and there's a power in that I grew up with my grandmother constantly telling me that and it's something that's always been in my life and it's something that until this point which is I'm probably the age that my grandmother was at when she was telling me Mm. I've had a couple of younger women tell me that I'm being arrogant that you know sort of as if we're better than them and it's Mm. like it's not that's not the case Mm -hmm. at all 
in the same way as at 30, I could never have imagined what I am at 50. It was like in the same way at 10, you couldn't have imagined what you'd be like at 30. It is exactly the same. I'm nothing like what I thought at 10 I'd be like at 39 right now. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, how at 30 you can say, you know, you're what, what you're going to be like in your 50s yeah. is impossible. And, you know, the life experiences that you have... But also, you know, there's the other side of menopause. Mm -hmm. It's like you wake up every morning feeling exactly the same. You never have an emotion that isn't valid. Mm. You get a sense of confidence that you've never had before. And, you know, all of that creative power that used to go to creating humans somehow comes up into your brain and you're inspired and energised like never before. And so, you know, I can say to any woman between the ages of 13 and 48, 50, is you don't know what it's like to not have these chemicals running through your body. And it's incredible. It really is. And this is actually, I think, and, and, and this is not just me, I mean, almost unanimously from the women that I speak to, they go, this is the most powerful time in our life. Mm. And so we've got this sort of paradox that here we are feeling as though we're at the most powerful point in our lives, the point that we could finally give 100% to our careers because mm. our families have grown up. And the world doesn't want us. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. So with this in mind, could you share with us the reason why you started the Uninvisibility Project and what you're trying to address with this project? Look, it started on a whim on January the 23rd this year. Mm-hmm. I, after you know being completely ignored by my industry and... and absolutely having fit, you know, ageism in my face. It was like, it was it was not covered or hidden at all. It was, I was very much told I was not welcome in the industry. And I just was like, am I the only one? And knowing that women over 50 by 47% of everything, I put out a tweet and said, are there actually any women over the age of 50 creating the ads in London? I think it was retweeted 64 times and I got eight names. And since then, you know, sort of, we, we, you know, some of them were freelance of, you know, the four I spoke to, two were working full time. We can't quite get the full figures because also there's a lot of women that won't admit to being over 50. Mm. But there is definitely less than 10 women over the age of 50 creating ads in London. And so I went and met these uh, these women and I started talking to them and I realised their stories weren't about advertising. It was like these were stories of midlife women. They were, you know, late late pregnancies, breast mm-hmm. cancer, adopting children, fighting for their careers with, you know, legal challenges. And and so I thought, you know, it was like my reaction was, was like, if I can become invisible, what hope does anybody else have? And so I found a lot of other women and I thought I was starting up a sort of Humans of New York type thing where I'd find these amazing women, I'd take a photograph of them, write write a story and that would be it. We launched on International Women's Day mm-hmm. and it was apparent from day one that, that this was going to be more than Humans of New York because right. the reaction to it was incredible. I think we got something like two million hits on our hashtag in the first week. And it was obviously a story that was hitting a nerve. And, you know, it was like, um, you know, my inbox was absolutely filled with women going, I'm at the end of my career or I'm in a job and I'm terrified of the next round of redundancies. Or, you know, I gave a speech on on Friday and three women came up to me that said I put, put, put them in tears. And I was like, really? I thought that was a really ballsy speech. But one of them came up and she went, you, you, you had me a blubbering mess at the end because my mum ended up living in her car. 
So, you know, this has been not only are we invisible, but the problems that we're facing are invisible. Mm. So it became very clear and, and, and also, you know, a lot of women were very drawn to it very quickly. So we've sort of now turned in, and again, you know, it was like, we want to get employed. It's like, you know, the, the first job of the Uninvisibility Project is to get as many women employed as possible. Mm -hmm. We're also saying, you know, because we've never existed before, please don't create our future for us. Mm -hmm. So we've got a network of some of the most brilliant female creatives from around the world, you know, employ us to create this narrative, to tell this story. And if you've got a brand that sells to 47% of this women, give us a bit of your budget. Let us start creating this new narrative. So, you know, I'm doing speeches, I've written a book, you know, we're, we're actually going into companies to, you know, just present mm -hmm. the problems because, and again, it's one of those things that once people see it, they, they can't unsee it. And, you know, it was like once people become aware of it, um, you know, they really are, what can we do to take action on this? Because I think, you know, a lot of people don't realise, you know, when I do a speech, I sort of bring up Bohemian Rhapsody and I get everybody singing it. Mm -hmm. And then I say to them, so do you know what else happened on the day that became number one? And there's absolute silence. And I go, that's the day we got equal opportunities legislation. And you can see, like, people are absolutely shocked that it's that modern and it's that recent and that this is the first group that came through. You know, we fought for maternity leave. We fought for equal rights. We fought for anti-sexual harassment legislation, but we never had any of that. And so now we're in our 50s, we're, we're suffering. We have, we've got 31% of the pensions that men have if we've got a pension. 48% of us don't have a pension at all. And so if we do not work for the next 20 years, the country is going to be in dire straits because half of our female OEPs are going to be living in poverty. Mm. And that's something that none of us want. So, you know, it's it's become, you know, I sort of say we've been, you know, our, our following on social media hasn't been, we haven't been recruiting a following, we've been recruiting an army. And, you know, sort of there's a very, you know, our engagement is incredible. And, yeah. and you know, sort of we know that we're on to a story that really needs to be told and, you know, a societal attitude that needs to change now because women are dying. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Yep. Yeah. One of the things that I, I kind of wanted to pick your brain about is job learning and and um, artificial intelligence and kind of like the attitude that a certain generation can't get behind learning in a particular manner and woe to the, the two should never meet. So you can't have technology and an older generation in the, in the workplace because they're not going to be able to kind of understand what's going on or... Technology without self soft skills is ridiculous. There is no such thing, in my mind, there is no such thing as a technology company. Mm. There are people, you are people creating products for people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the fact that you can sort of say that anybody born between nine, before 1965 doesn't know anything is ridiculous. First of all, we're, we're tech ambidextrous. Mm -hmm. So we've actually known what life was like before tech mm -hmm. and we know what changes it makes. And I think that's actually something that's really important. But also the other thing is, is and this is one of the things I sort of say, is, is we've got to start valuing motherhood as a business skill because business is crying out for soft skills and motherhood is the Ivy League of soft skills training. And so you, anybody can learn a program. Anybody can learn the new acronyms. And, you know, most of the women of our generation have had a career. So they understand the career. They understand the job. They understand the industry. And so bringing them in to, to re, the, all they need to relearn are the hard skills. Mm -hmm. And what you'll gain from them in the soft skills is phenomenal. 
we've got to we've got to start looking at older women in a very different way. You know, one of the things I joke about is is you know sort of nobody wants to work with their mum, but you know really if you look at yourself, how well were you brought to market? If you were a product, how well were you brought to market? And you know it was like she has tirelessly and without credit given you every opportunity to shine. Mm. And I think you know the 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 more people like that we have in in an, in a company, the better. One of the examples that we touched on was how it could work in a job share. Could you share that? Yeah, look, one, one of the things that, you know, uh, again, one of the things that I think is cruelest at the moment is is that a career spe- sweet spot is 35. It is the cruelest time for a woman. So any woman that's facing that time when she's actually looking at wanting to go off and have a family, why don't you bring an older woman in to be a job share? Bring her in six months before, train her up so she understands the business, then you go and have your baby, and then, you know, when you come back, you've got somebody that can not only support you in business, but also can support you as a mother. And I think that's really important. So for me, that's like one of the simplest, easiest ways to get older women back into the workforce is for younger women, is is for the sisterhood to Mm. work exactly how it should. I mean, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, in this day and age, part of the village's job is making sure that mum's secure in her career too. Yeah. So, you know, we need to be starting to look at things differently. I think we need to be looking at the value of older women differently. And we need to be looking at how can we bring somebody like that back into the workforce and train them? You know, so she might be weaker on the business skills, but much, much stronger on the soft skills. You know, when the mother's actually needing the soft skills, there's actually going to be somebody there that's going to help her and support her through it. So it's just understanding everyone's uniqueness and and their strengths and and how that can be applied for the good of everybody, yeah. the organisation, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah. The way to solve things tends to be quite simplistic rather than it being really complex and just take a different view, like having a conversation about how can this work? We've always done this. Let's take a different approach. Let's have a conversation with someone with a different insight. And it it's the answer is never that difficult it's just a different perception that people haven't necessarily taken because they haven't lived that life also i think one of the things you learn from a long life is truth is actually very very simple (laughs) it's like if you if you can't act if if a five-year-old child can't understand it it's not a truth it's a very simple solution Mm. that i think any hr person or any woman that's looking at how do i carry on my career would go actually that's a really good idea let me have a look into seeing how i can make that work work." and you know as I said, we're, we're a movement, so we're putting ideas out there. It's like up to the women out there and, 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 and companies and, and everybody else to sort of take the ideas and have, make it work for their own environments and their own things. But, you know, it's like it's not that difficult, folks. And there is an incredible workforce out there that desperate because the only jobs that are openly advertised to us is nanny jobs. Mm. And it's like, just because we've had raised our own children doesn't mean to say that we're that great That's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> that, that fulfills you. Or that fulfills me. It's like, you know, and again, you know, sort of the algorithm is pretty much what you did last is what you're, what you're going to do next. Yeah. Which is really sad for us that broke out to cre- create careers. <laughs> yeah. But all of a sudden we find at the end of our careers, oh, hold on a minute, we have to be carers and homemakers. Yeah. Wasn't that what we fought against? Yeah, yeah. It's changing the narrative, isn't it? Yeah. You've also shared that the only way that you found out previously in a role that you were being paid half as much as your male counterpart was because of your older female creative director told you and then they paid you parity. If that hadn't happened, you probably would never have known. How does that make you feel? 
Look, the early years were the wild, wild west. Mm. Like, like we came into the workforce, we didn't even know the rules. It was like we were playing on the slanted side with the sun in our eyes and we had no idea because we'd never been in the workforce before. So, you know, I was incredibly fortunate mm -hmm. that I had a female creative director. It was like, you know, there are still women today that have never had a senior female in, uh, ahead of them. So, you know, for me in, early, in the early 80s, mm. to have a female creative director was gold. But, you know, she basically recognised that we weren't being paid what the boys were and doubled our salaries immediately. She was like, this isn't fair. You know, it's equal pay for equal work. You're now on this salary. Now, when we when she was fired and we lost that job and new creative directors came in, then we then go out back out into the workforce. And, of course, we use, we're, we're now earning twice as much as the girls' wage. So... <laughs> And, you know, we'd both bought a house, you know, it was like, we couldn't go back to half. We couldn't go back to half. Yeah. But, you know, without a female creative director, no, this was what a girl was worth versus this was what a boy was worth. The stories from our early careers are horrendous. It was like, you know, the things that we had to face, you know, I, I speak to young girls and they just, you know, they stand there with their mouths open at mm. some of the things that happened to us. Mm. That was our reality. And it was like, you know, and the thing was that you could not say that you were a feminist. You couldn't move up against it. You just had to sort of wriggle navigate your way your through it yeah. and navigate your way through it. And as you got more senior, you got a bit more strength. And as you got a bit more senior, you got a bit more strength. Until you get to 50 and you get to you couldn't give a fuckery. And now it's <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> nothing stands in your way. Yeah. You know, we had to protect our careers. It was like, you know... If you came out as a feminist, you were a lesbian or a hairy-legged hairy-legged feminist. Mm. It was like, you know, it was you were seen as the enemy. Mm. And you know, I you can understand you know when you've also lived through it, you can understand it. It was like, you know, Prime Min uh, M Margaret Thatcher came in as the prime minister. I mean, she was one ball-breaking bitch. Mm. And you know, all the guys thought that we were all going to be like her. Mm. They all thought that we were coming in to, you know, take their jobs and ruin everything. I mean, mm. I actually had a client tell me that we were the bitches that ruined everything. So you know, and that was two years ago. So you know, we were not welcome. It was mm. like we were there by law, but you know, we we weren't wanted there. And you know, it was like we couldn't go in there. You know, we we sort of had to tug off or lock a bit to sort mm. of say, mm, "Thanks for being here. It's great to be here." And and sort of manoeuvre our way around. And and now we've actually, you know, it was like there weren't that many of us because like when I when, when Equal Opportunity came in, I was 13, I was just about to take my options. Mm. Most of the girls I've been at school with had been brought up in an environment where divorce was unheard of. They would go and take a job as a nurse or a teacher or whatever, then they'd find Mr. Wright and then they'd be married and they'd be secure for the rest of their lives. And us at 13, you know, there were a few of us that all of a sudden went, what? There's more options. Hold on a minute. There's a whole world. We can do anything. Mm. You know, so there weren't that many of us in the first generation, but following us was, you know, a floodgate, followed by a floodgate. Mm. And so, you know, so we were the point of the ship, you know, just sort of like darting through. But it's the mass behind mm -hmm. that has actually made the change. And we've got to continue to, the sisterhood works. So. The sisterhood works. Yeah. But one of the things I would say is, is we came in to smash the patriarchy. And when I say the patriarchy, I do not mean men versus women in mm. any way, shape or form. The patriarchy is a system that is designed for men by men to benefit men. And so, you know, it was like we came in to to change that and and I think one of the, the one of the things that they did was that they made us in competition with each other I think that's one of the greatest tricks as a patriarchy was making female competition 
And, you know, some some of us bought into it and a lot of us didn't. And we just bided our time and kept our networks and kept our sisterhood. And so now it's incredibly powerful. Mm. As somebody that's been a career woman for 30 years, it doesn't take long to, to crack into the network of the other women that have been here for 30 years that are at the top and powerful and like, what can we do to change? Meanwhile, there's this whole movement behind us of all these women that have, you know, it was like, again, the woman that cried at the at the end of the speech the other day was like, oh, I can't believe we've been so bad to our sisters. It was mm. like, you gave so much for us and, and we haven't even noticed that you've disappeared. And so, you know, again, I think if we can bring together the sisterhood and for all of us to be there to help each other. And when I say the sisterhood, I don't mean that as a male, fi- as, a, as a female right. thing either. Yeah. You know, there are yeah. as many men that are in the sisterhood as well. Yeah. 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 Collaboration. I I use that word so much in what I do every day, but it's so important. Collaboration and and teamwork on a bigger sense of just your day-to-day team. But one of the things that we have in our company is we don't do diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I I really genuinely believe in representation and collaboration. Mm -hmm. And so especially since we're building something, so there's nothing to come into, so there's nothing to be included in. Mm. It's like we're actually building something and we're not going to build that without representation and voices of, you know, because we all have different experiences. As a woman of colour, you're going to have a majorly different experience Funnily enough, not so bad hitting ageism because black don't crack. (laughs) And a lot of you don't even have to admit to how old you are because there's just, you know, nobody would have a clue. No one ever believes me when I say my age. No, they wouldn't have a clue. I mean, in fact, there was there's one woman in in, in London that's incredibly successful Mm. and very, very groovy. And she's like, don't you dare tell anybody that (laughs) I'm over 50. (laughs) (laughs) So we might not get... The, the age thing but there's still other challenges that we, yeah yeah look you know yeah. it was like and, and and again it was like you know before i'm writing a book at the moment whenever i do a blog my my best friend is a woman of color mm. and there is nothing that i say publicly mm. that goes out without you know i'll, I'll be ringing up carol i need a carol check yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> is this all right can i say yeah. that am i going to upset black twitter yeah. um you know but more importantly is this what you want to say yeah because you know again i'm being a voice for a lot of people so the women that we feature on the Unavisibility Project, half of them are not working and mm. three are facing bankruptcy. Mm. Now, all of those that are struggling are like, Jane, thank you so much, because we are out there pretending that we're doing brilliantly. We're out there with our brave faces on there going, yeah, I'm working, I'm doing great. And so for you to actually be able to say that we're not anonymously mm. and to actually let the world know there's a problem, because we, if we say that there's a problem, we're gone. Mm. So, you know, it's like there's great power in having somebody else being that voice for you. So, you know, it's something that we take very seriously. Yeah. That we need all voices in there. Yeah. It's, A, I feel like there's this, when you have a conversation and you realise you're not alone, that that's always positive. And B, having that ability to not face stuff by yourself. I think the worst thing about invisibility is is that you do think it is just you. Mm. I mean, and, and that's why I started it, because I really genuinely thought it was me. Yeah. And I thought, I've lost confidence. Maybe I am out of touch. Maybe my work is rubbish. Maybe my achievements are too long ago. You know, so I actually started believing society's view of me. Mm. And so, you know, and again, I'm a confident woman. It's like, you know, and I've been a very successful woman. So, you know, if if it can hit me that badly, mm. you know, it was like, again, you know, I get emails, you know, two or three a week from women that go, I thought I was supposed to, I thought it was just me. Yeah. 
And a lot of women go, I didn't think I was good enough, which is the sign of an abused woman. It was like, you know, we do actually, you know, actually hearing some of these women is very similar to their react to a woman's reaction to abuse. Mm. Oh, it must be my fault. What have I done? They take it on board. It's just me. Nobody else is experiencing mm. this. So when they find out just what an epidemic it is and that they are not alone by any stretch of the imagination, there's great strength and comfort in that. For yeah, them. yeah. So, Jane, you've done a lot. <laughs> One of those was starting your own agencies. And at the time you said you were told you'd never get a creative director position again. And you also felt that you couldn't do your role and be a mum. Can you share what it was like to set up your own thing? Look, I didn't want to do it. I, I was I was a, a, a regional creative director at J. Walter Thompson. I had a great job, was really loving it. But I had the urge to breed. It was like there was no way I was leaving this planet without having one or two kids. And, you know, of course, it hit at the 35 mark that my career's absolutely at its peak at the time. But also, you know, it was like my daughter the other day said, said to me, she said, would you like to start your career? If you started, your, would, you, would you prefer to start your career now or when you did? And I'm like, oh, my goodness, now. Mm. And she's like, why? I said, if I was as talented as I was then, having people that actually encouraged me mm. and, and wanted me to succeed, I would absolutely love it because throughout my career it was like, no, you haven't won enough awards. So I go off and win a whole heap of awards. It's like, it's like, okay, we haven't shown leadership. So I go and run like the ad school. It was like everything, you know, there was always a reason why I couldn't be creative director. And it actually got to the point where it was like, we had done everything to do, to be a creative director. There was, there was no way that anybody could say you're not good enough. So basically it ended up with the head, leading headhunter in town saying the boys have decided there will never be a female creative director in Sydney. Mm. So forget it. And I was like, no, I, I was, uh, my ambition was to be a creative director by the time I was 35. So I bought a massive, great big warehouse and I opened my agency on the ground floor mm -hmm. and had my family upstairs. And, you know, I took three days off maternity leave. It was like, you know, my, my children were sitting by my desk. Yeah. That, you know, I didn't stop, you know, and I built a very, very, very successful business while giving birth to children. But it was way too much. Yeah. And when relationship problems came in, yeah, I was not, I was in an abusive relationship and a very financially abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I was, you know, multi-million dollar agency and all of a sudden I had to get my children to safety. And so it, what was like going to be a huge concern all of a sudden really turned into a cottage industry and mm. stayed as a cottage industry for 10 years mm. because as a single mother, there's no way that I could, I could do both to any level of, you know, I would be, I, I would be bad at everything that I did. So mm. the career had to sort of plateau for a little while. What would your advice be to women now that are feeling like, I don't know if I can do it? Both. I don't know if I can be a successful business owner, running my own organisation and a mum. This is what we're working towards because it's like, you know, as I said, almost unanimously women go, the other side of menopause is the most powerful time in our lives. Now, if we can change this narrative and if we can look at careers that actually fit a woman's physiology, mm -hmm. not a man's physiology, mm -hmm. so that, you know, that woman that's going, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do my, but um, I think it's one in five women still find it almost impossible to leave a baby and go back to work. Mm. 
And, you know, we're fighting biological, we're fighting our physiology all the time. So, you know, if we actually start to look at careers where we actually bear in mind a woman's physiology, and if us pioneers, you know, the first pioneers in the workforce, we've actually got to pioneer the second half of our career. Mm. And if we can do that successfully, then hopefully younger women will look up going, all right, well, you know, maybe I don't have to be managing director by the time I'm 40. Maybe I can put it off to 55. Because, again, we were all brought up thinking we were going to be retired at 55. Mm. Nobody's retiring at 55 anymore unless they've made an absolute squillion. We're all going to be working till 70. And actually with our life expectancies, you know, I, I joke that I've been middle-aged since I was 35. Because <laughs> when I was 35, my life expectancy was 70. Yeah. And it's like, you know, now, now there's reports saying healthy boomers could live to 120. So I'm not even halfway like, there yet. Yeah. And so, you know, as our life lifetimes expand, so our work lives are going going to expand yeah and I think you know now is the point that we actually need to sort of go all right come on you know this this whole idea that we're all finished by 50 is over yeah it's like we've got to start looking for all of us that we're going to be working till 70 yeah yeah I don't know how I, I find that <laughs> no but it's exciting it's exciting but also daunting because it is it's exciting but daunting but also you know the other thing is is when they talk about millennials they're saying you know millennials are going to have multiple careers and lifelong yeah. learning and we're saying start with us man yeah yeah it was like first of all we know how to pioneer so if you want a new way of working we've already done new way of working you know and if this is the way of the future then trainers so we can contribute and be part of it. I mean, I think it's something like 3.7 trillion is spent on age check each year. And, you know, there's a whole, you know, unicorn workforce out mm. there that actually viscerally understands what the products are and what the needs are. Mm. You know, there's a massive room in age tech for older people. Yeah. Massive. We just need to be more open-minded. Yeah, and we need to actually sort of break down those old constraints. It's like, yeah. I mean, ageism first starts at the age of six or seven because they're fed a, a diet of old hags, witches, and sweet old grannies, which is actually the older woman's Madonna whore trope, is that you're either a wicked witch or a, a sweet old granny. Mm. But the fact of the matter is, is we're actually Jennifer Aniston and <laughs> J-Lo. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it was like whenever anybody advertises to the amorphous blob of 55+, plus. They show Helen Mirren. She's 74. It's like, you know, so you, you don't even know who we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're not represented. You know, in advertising, you know, uh, you, you go from child to spotty teenager to sort of vixen to young career woman, young mother, and then old woman looking for funeral insurance. And we just, mm. it's it, we just disappear. Yeah. It's like we don't exist. Yeah. Which is madness. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. What advice would you give to women representing the over 50 demographic on changing the narrative and how to own their power and value? Like one of the things I know that, that you've said and and you hold no bars about is women on the other side of menopause just don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> they really don't. They really, really don't. And, 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 and you know, it's like I have had a couple of, you know, rather posh, you know, nice, nice white English women that go, oh, no, I do care about what people think. I go, not quite in the same way. Yeah. I said, you know, are you, are you, do you walk down the street with worrying whether people are worried whether your trousers are too short? You know, it was like, of course you care about the people close to you. And of mm -hmm. course you care about what people think about you as a person. Mm -hmm. But you don't care what a complete stranger thinks of you. Nor do you care so much about what people think about how you look. You're far more concerned about how you feel and how you act. 
act. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would be saying to women of this age, actually use some of that confidence and use use some of that insouciance Mm -hmm. to actually start being visible and going, I'm great, I'm fantastic, look at what I'm doing. Mm. And I think, you know, again, when society sort of disappears, a lot of women sort of go, oh, well, nobody cares about us, I'm just going to disappear. That don't mm. it was like go do something you know and don't be afraid of I, I joke don't be afraid of beating your chest you can't do that before menopause because your tits hurt too much yeah. <laughs> you know it was like now they don't go out there and say how great you are and what you can do and mm. and also you know use this new energy of I've got half a life to live what am I going to do with that second half of my life yeah that's really inspiring and I think that what I'd love to know from you Jane is What's the most important thing you've learned in your life? There's a lot of things that yeah, I've learned in yeah. my life. It's a bit, you know, the the one thing that I think most people, that, that I think took me a long time to learn was yeah. I am nowhere near in control. That I can do the best. Mm-hmm. I can have I can have a dream. I can work towards it. I can do the best. But somehow there's another force at work. And sometimes you can reach rock bottom and the best is yet to come. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can think that something is a complete and utter disaster and your life is over and then something more amazing comes along. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like I think the thing is, is you don't control the universe. It's like you control your life, you can control your dreams. And for me, it's like do the best to get to where you want to be. Yeah. But if you don't get there, there's somewhere else you're meant to be. And, you know, it was like over and over and over again throughout my life I can see – oh, I didn't make that, that was a disappointment. But, oh, my goodness, look what did happen. And I think, you know, the joys that do come are usually better. But you usually get more than what you expected you were going to get. Well, my mum always says to me, life happens whilst you're around planning it. And it's it's so true. Like, at any stage of my life when I thought, right, this is what I'm going to be doing next or this is where I'll be, and I look back, there's different reasons as to why my journey's altered. But ultimately, I've even in my really dark I don't know what I'm gonna do or this is not where I ever thought I'd be there's power in that and it's it's part of who I am and you know it's this wonderful thing called life where you think you know where you're going and you're taking in a different direction and there's a lot of power in that and I think the thing is is also have real certainty in yourself Mm. and it's like and I think when you lose confidence in yourself is is the hardest point. And, I, and, and I've been there. It's like, you know, I don't think anybody goes through life without having times when they, you know, completely lose it. But for me, all the way through the bad times, no matter how bad they were, there was always this sort of spark in my brain that was mm. like, come on, Jane, you can get out of this. Yeah. Come on, Jane, there's a way out of this. You know, just, just take some time, calm down, slow down a bit. There's something, there's something in here. You know, mm. it was like... I mean, I ended up at the food bank a couple of years ago because a client went broke on me one month and it was like, what do we do? Yeah. It's like, you know, I was supposed to get some money in. It didn't come in. Mm. I ended up at the food bank and I was like, how did I get here? You know, it was like, what? Whoa. And then I looked around and it was like, first of all, I realized I was the only woman in there with a full set of teeth. And the other thing was, is that I realized that I was the only one that was going to be able to get out. Yeah. And so for me, it was like, okay, so why did the universe plonk me in the middle of this story? And it was like, okay, so I'm, I'm not going to be a victim here. I'm not, this is not the end for me. I'm not going to, this is not where I end up. But I'm damn well going to make sure that as few women as possible end up here as they can. So, you know, what was horrific and impossible 
embarrassing and mortifying and, you know, emotional and dreadful mm. actually spurred me to actually really understand just how much women are suffering. Yeah. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Oh, look, I, I don't actually know how to answer this question because <laughs> this is what I do for a living. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> I, I would say the greatest, amazing, anti-aging billboard that wins every <laughs> every Category award, ev every award yeah. on the planet. <laughs> What there is at the moment, I'm waiting for the brief clients. Seriously, <laughs> send <it> this way. <laughs> send the brief this way, and and you know that's what I want on Jane the billboard. Jane and her team will work that magic. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> What's your best tip for making the world a better place? Be empathetic. Listen to other people, and put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. You know, really try and understand where they're coming from. You know, a lot of people that attack are hurting. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people that seem to be doing strange things are probably going through strange things. So I think always never judge the world in your experience because other people are experiencing it differently. So always be open and aware to what other people are experiencing. Thank you. What book or film would you recommend to people and why? Book or film? Can I add a TV series? Well, why not? Okay, so Spicy. at the moment, I think it is really essential that there are two things that people watch. The first is The Great Hack on Netflix. I think mm -hmm. it's really essential that we understand what is going on with data, how we're being manipulated in social media. Mm -hmm. And the other one that I think people should see is The Loudest Voice in the Room with Russell Crowe, who is absolutely superb in it to see how Fox News has killed news and you know I think if you watch those two things yeah you can't look at the world in the same way okay so I think that they're they're the two most important is that a positive or negative or is it no I think informed? it's no I think it's really I think it's being informed and I think also what it does is is that it allows you to go oh hold on a minute have we been fooled here yeah are we being tricked here what's the story here look I, I've worked in propaganda my whole life yeah so I know propaganda so yeah. for me those two things actually go this is how propaganda is being used against you yeah so yeah those, those so the great life, the great hack, the great hack, hack on and the, the loudest voice in the room. How would your daughter describe your job? My eldest daughter describes me as an ageism activist. Oh, cool! I like which that. Is cool, and was very upset that I became an influencer before her. <laughs> Keep her on her toes. But also, you know, it was like the worst thing about being un unemployed mm. and, 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 and invisible was my children couldn't see who I was. Mm. You know, it was my, my daughters were 14, 15, 16 when I was going through that, mm. which was the time that they should be looking up to their mum and wanting to be like their mum. Mm. And so for me, that was the heartbreaking thing about it was, was they didn't know who I was. Mm. So the greatest delight in all of this is, you know, when I sort of say to my mum, you know, I got a Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm like, yeah. yay! And it was yeah. like, oh, you know, I went to St. James's Palace and had a cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. So from them, it's like, you know, they can actually be proud of their mum. And and they can also, you know, it's like before I started this, you know, I was with my youngest and I was going, if this doesn't work, I don't know what the hell we're going to do. Yeah. I was like, I really don't know what the hell we're going to do. And I said, I think I'm just going to give up. And she was like, don't you dare give up, mum. And so for the for them to see me try and try this and try that and try this and try that, 
to actually have something that's now starting to work and to actually be, you know, using my voice and I am the person that I said I was yeah. is actually really important and it's, it's you know, that's that's what's brought me the most joy out of it. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that.